Shore City, you're listening to the Underground Radio, bringing you all of the very best Pokemon news and views this side of Twist Mountain. I'm Natil. And I'm Sam. For today's broadcast, we'll be bringing you the freshest Pokemon news, bringing you some mail from our friend Delibird, discussing the marvelous advances in multiplayer gaming that came with Diamond and Pearl, and spotlighting one of Sinnoh's most epically aesthetic Pokemon. So sit back, relax, and give your Radio Rotome what it wants. Well, as I'm sure our listeners are very aware, Sam and I had kind of an extended break again, and it's because my computer was in, like, the throes of death. Yeah, and (laughs) we're very glad that your computer is not in the throes of death anymore, and that it was a really simple fix, actually. (laughs) It wasn't, it wasn't too bad, at least. Um, my, my dog, my dog essentially rolled off the bed and got surprised by the fact that he was now on his back on the floor and subsequently ruined the screen on my netbook. Ouch. So we had to get a new screen and uh, replace the screen in it. It was a little nerve-wracking to do the repairs, but my husband was really awesome and did it for me, so I didn't have to freak out while I was doing it. Well, that's good. Um, And now I have a new screen and everything is better, so we can record again. (laughs) Awesome. Yay! (laughs) <laughs> oh, but in the in the meantime, Sam and I haven't really been slowing down as far as Pokemon related things are concerned. I think this week we have more to talk about than we have in the past few as far as chatter is concerned. It's very true. What have you been up to? Well, uh as you and I are both aware and probably most of our listeners, we had our E4 tournament for the God, what season is it this time around? Just silly, uh the Castellius. No. Season. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Yes. That just started. And we had this in the very first week, which was kind of unusual for us because usually we wait a couple of weeks in there to really give our players some time to, you know, get moving and, you know, get uh get their own, you know, get up to pace with their own, you know, time in the season and you know that's important at some points, but in this particular season, one of our league nights actually lands on Valentine's Day. So we were going to be essentially dropping the week because we didn't know how many people were actually going to show up. So we were just going to be trying to cram everything that we could into the four weeks, really, that we have for this season. Oh, and we are cramming a lot in. Yes, we are. The E4 tournament, though, was really exciting. I mean, we had 11 people participate, which is the most that I think we've ever had. And it, it was got a, 
It was crazy. It was crazy. It got a little nerve-wracking there, especially towards the end when we were trying to desperately stuff as many people's matches in as we possibly could. And, you know, actually, our E4 members did really, really well. I've got the sheet of paper right here. And, you know, other than, uh, you know, Mac and Scott both, I mean, they've had one and two losses, you know, on either side there. So they both had an amazing night, especially Scott. I mean, he only had the one loss there, and he didn't get in quite as many matches as Mac did. But still, I mean, he had a fantastic night. You had a fantastic night, too. I mean, you had only three losses that entire time. Yep, I went eight and three on this tournament. Um, I was I was a little disappointed that I didn't go nine and two, because I was really, really, really close to going... Uh, Nine and two, but by the you know by the time you get to your eleventh battle in three hours, yeah, that does get a little intense. <laughs> I was a little bit tired. Yep, we did have three of our people though make it to the champion battle. And oh, those, really? Yeah, John, Adam, and MJ all three made it there, and those were you know some pretty intense battles actually. Of uh, the match against. Adam, though, that one was the big one there, because I was fighting his sand team with my rain team. Oh, weather battle. Well, it wasn't really a weather battle, because I didn't realize that he had a sand team out there, so I was kind of reckless with my polytoad. Oh, no. And my polytoad got taken out probably in the first three matches of the game, and all of a sudden I had no rain anymore because he brought out his... Tyranitar. Oh, and I was like, crap. oh, great. This isn't working out well for me because, I mean, my multi-scale Dragonite's going to be busted. My Focus Sash Haxorus is going to be busted. I mean, this is not starting out on a good note for me here. But I still managed to do, to make a lot of smart predictions and I got, and I still won three to nothing. So. Nice. Yeah. And, yeah, the only, I think we actually have somebody who is planning on challenging this next week, too, for one of the E4 spots. So I'm kind of excited to know more about that. Oh, yeah, this this will be the first time we've had a challenge since last, last spring. Yeah, because I think the last person who was challenged was Richard, right? He was challenged by Steven. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, that I'm totally interested in seeing what happens there, because I'm sure it's going to be awesome. But, uh, yeah, Natil, you are super excited about, actually, our next tournament that we have coming up. Oh, yeah, I am. We are actually doing a special uh, video game tournament next week that is a three-on-three monotype bug tournament. Which is gonna be awesome. <laughs> All the buggies. We we like the guys at League seem really excited about it. It's gonna be really really awesome because and who uses bug type Pokemon ever? Except nope. for Volcaronas. People use Volcarona, but that's pretty much it. And Scissor. And Scissor. Yeah, that's right. There is there is Scissor. Um, yep. but other than them. Yeah, so it's it's going to be really cool to see what people bring out. I've got some neat ideas that I'm not willing to air out on the podcast quite yet since I don't want. When when it's a three on three tournament, you don't want to give away too many of your secrets. It's true. 
Um, and we've, we've got that coming up. That's going to be crazy awesome. And then the week after that is another really crazy tournament for us. Yep. We've got our first really uh, mono, grass, and colorless TCG tournament that's coming up. And I've heard a lot of things from a lot of people, and we've got some people who have been getting very serious and very excited about this, which makes me all kinds of happy, because at our league, uh, our video game players really have the rock star status when it comes to it, because, I mean, you and I and Scott all play the video game, and a lot of our players play the video game, and the TCG players are kind of just kind of left to themselves to do whatever they want. So this time around, we're going to be, we decided to make a TCG tournament where we would have a few restrictions there. We would have it so you could use both 2012 and 2013 uh, acceptable cards, which is Heart Gold and Soul Silver up, and it would be three prize cards, so we could theoretically get a full-size tournament in there within three hours. It's going to be really cool. Um, it's it's neat for me, especially because I've got all these old, you know, 2012 legal cards that I don't get to use. So I'm I'm excited to be able to get to use them again. And that's really what was the kicker for a lot of the people who I've talked to. I mean, everybody wants to use their Heart Gold Soul Silver cards again. And from what I understand, I didn't really get into it that much. I've really came in in the Dragon's Exalted sort of era that came about. But, you know, from a lot of, from what I've heard, a lot of people really miss the trainers and supporters, especially that were in the Heart Gold Soul Silver series. So, you know, this time around, people get to use those older cards again, feel a little more nostalgic about what they're using, and seems like everybody's ready to have a good time. I certainly am. Mm-hmm. And we, we know for a fact that we've got a couple of people that are taking this upcoming TCG tournament really seriously. Like, they're they're putting a lot of time and effort into these decks. Oh, a huge amount of time and effort. I mean, Mitch, Santiago, and uh, Richard are all three working very, very hard on these decks. And, you know, I'll be going over to uh, not TCG Richard, but our friend Richard's place here to kind of look through some of his older cards and see what I can use to make something interesting and original with those. Because, you know, I've, I'm not really huge into the TCG, and I'm kind of going to need all the help I can get with this <laughs> one, I think, because most of my cards are the kinds where they're like the, I don't know, like the Roserade that do Poison, or, you know, the Ninkadas that do Dig and things like that, and it's like, those are cute, but they aren't going to be able to hold up against Tornadus EXs and things of that nature, so... <laughs> So we'll see how that goes. I think it's going to be super exciting, honestly. Um, so those are the all the tournaments that we have coming up for this particular season. Um, mm-hmm. Next season, we're going to be doing some more tournaments that's actually prompting me to update my Dynamotor deck for 2013. But in the same vein, Dynamotor is going to get cycled out pretty quick. Yep. So I don't know. We're probably going to have to... Why don't we have a show sometime where we discuss the 
new different ways to do Dynamotor since it's going to be cycled out and it's still a fairly popular option for TCG players. I'm a miss Dynamotor. Yeah. Oh, Electric well. is such cool Pokemon. Oh, it's true. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, we'll get it figured out. Oh, yeah. Speaking of the TCG, though, uh, I've been really looking into all of these Dragon Vault Pokemon cards, and I gotta say, I like a lot of them that have come out. And I went out and bought a couple of different packs of them, and I got a bunch of Dragonites, I got a bunch of Haxorus, and some of the Rayquaza, and I'm thinking that I'm going to build a couple of hybrid decks that use these Pokemon in them, because... Why not? And it would give me a deck that would probably be competitive with a couple of the other ones that are out there. I mean, like the insane, insane, insane uh, Dynamotor Rayquaza EX decks that are out there, which are terrifying, is what they <laughs> are. But yeah, probably going on a Troll and Toad a couple of different times just to pick up a couple of cheap little cards for it. I could probably make it work out really well. That'll be really cool. And I get to use Dragon-type Pokemon, which is... (laughs) You always love using your Dragon-type Pokemon. I do. And, you know, if I can use these Dragonites in here, which I really am starting to like. I mean, they use four energy cards, but, you know, that's kind of the price of, you know, doing business with these particular cards. I mean, I won't be able to go toe-to-toe, I think, against a Garchomp deck that has a bunch of catchers in it, but you know, on the other hand, if I can get a bunch of Dragonites out there, I could probably just not even care about what the catchers are doing anyway, so I don't know. I, I think that I think that can work. You've also been working on your uh, doubles team. Yes, I have. I was talking to our friend Josh, and he suggested to me that I finally take the plunge and make a doubles team, and I did just that. Went on to Pokemon Showdown, which is a program that you can find just by Googling Pokemon Showdown, and it's a browser-based Pokemon video game simulator in sort of the same vein as Lackey CCG is for the Pokemon TCG. And I made a couple of teams. I made a Rain Dance one, which uh, didn't work out too well. I Aww. mean, Josh. Well, Josh's teams are just ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> he said he was testing out a team on there, and, you know, I believe him, but at the same time, Josh testing out a team versus me testing out a team at this point is, you know, there's a huge difference in skill level there. I mean, he knew what he was doing, and I didn't really know what I was doing. But, um, yeah, and then I also made another team on there, which was a a Trick Room team, and I actually enjoyed that one a lot, and I managed to last at least five times as many turns as I did with the Rain team, so I'm thinking I might go with one of those, or I was also thinking of maybe a Sand team after that. But the important thing really is that I'm getting out there and I'm looking into different things to do with doubles teams. And I mean, we're going to need to do that for our planned trip to uh, Madison, Wisconsin for the regionals tournament. I'm super excited for that regionals tournament. Nervous, but excited. 
oh yeah, I'm totally excited for it too. And I was reading Facebook and I actually found out that both Mitch and Richard, his friend, were going to seriously think about going with us. So, Oh, I would very much like to have them come along. <laughs> I know, right? That would be awesome. It would be. I want to get as many people to come with us as I can. Oh, yeah. Well... Does that wrap it up? I think so. Snap. All right. Well, that was a nice long Pokemon chatter break. Let's take a moment to stretch our Pokemon limbs or whatever it is we do on these musical interludes and then head over (laughs) to the news desk. All righty. Well, this episode's first bit of news is that uh, the... Suggestion portion of this month's Double Team segment has concluded, which means we are officially moving into the voting segment for this month's Double Team. Uh, this month's contenders happen to be Garbordar, Weezing, and Octillery. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I could make I could make Weezing work. Maybe Garb maybe Garboder. Uh, not sure about Octillery. I don't I don't know what we're gonna do with Octillery. <laughs> Though, you know, this is why we do it, so we can look at these Pokemon and see what we can do with them, so. That's true, that's true. It's it's not it's not as though if we do get Octillery that we'll just sort of, like, throw our hands up and say no. I mean, we managed to make Dunsparce work. Yeah, Josh. <laughs> I think the only thing that we could do that, you know, the only thing that would perturb us more would be something like... Uh, Magikarp. That, well, <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was going to say something like... um. Oh, now you've now you've distracted me with thoughts of magic. <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> um, a love disc is what I was gonna say. Oh, okay. Well, you know, rain. You know, I don't know. Love disc and rain. Swift swim. I mean, you could theoretically poke yeah. somebody before you got taken out. You can't even. Yeah, you you would you would. That's all you would be able to do is poke him because he, love disc doesn't have any special like anything. Uh, I could hope that it would make your opponent laugh himself to death. Well, we could try. Yeah. So, there you go. All right. Well, if you would like to vote for this month's double team segment, you can do so by sending a tweet with your vote to me at Hot Pink Joystick or Sam at Alexiel Solarin. You can also send us an email with your vote to the underground mailbag at gmail.com. Indeed. What's up next? Well, the Pokemon Winter Regionals Tournament has just wrapped up, and those tournaments were taking place all over the United States, and, you know, I followed a couple of people on Twitter who were there. Uh, Some people actually did really well from what I've heard, and I think one person's girlfriend got 23rd out of 150-plus TCG players, which was phenomenal. And from what I've heard, a lot of people were bringing into, especially the VGC, a lot of uh, Latios and Latias. I saw there were a number of people who were bringing in surprisingly Lapras. And, you know, I was just kind of blown away by the amount of uh, talk about freezing Pokemon in the VGC that I had heard. So... I don't know, apparently ice is the thing to do in the VGC, either that or just hail and blizzard. But um, I also heard 
that there were a lot of really powerful decks that were out there. I mean, I, you know, Mewtwo EX one-shotting somebody in the first round and being like, ha 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 ha, that's how that works. So, I don't know, but congratulations to everybody who participated. I really wish I could have participated. I think that would have been cool, but that's just, just not how it went. And then we'll see how uh, the spring one turns out for us. Well, I'm hoping the spring one turns out well for us. <laughs> oh, yeah. T. <Tee. laughs> and really, the big news, though, that oh, everybody God. has heard about... Yeah, so um like when when this happened, I had wished that Sam and I had been able to do like a, a secondary like little mini podcast, but because my computer died almost immediately, we had to simply um just, you know, put the whole thing on hold. Uh the the big news is Pokemon X and Y. Oh yeah. That this this is a real thing now. I mean it's it's really gonna be sixth generation in October. Yep. Seems what? like fifth gen just started. I know, I know. I'm I'm not sure that I like this weird like ticking time clock that I have on my uh fifth generation competitive play now. Yep. But I guess that's that. <laughs> well, you know, and I actually kind of wish too that we had until like March to be able to get this one, but you know, that's kind of how it goes. I mean, but yeah, for the for the advertising for X and Y alone. I mean, they had it covered pretty much on Pokemon.com every single day right up until recently, where all that really happened was you went right to the Pokemon website and it instantly redirected you to a web to an advertisement for X and Y. I mean, they really wanted to push this one as far as they could. And, you know, I'm really excited about it I've from what I've seen from the gameplay trailers and things like that. Um, I've heard a lot of people asking, you know, what's going to change other than the graphics, you know, not sure about that one, but, you know, the, the legendaries, especially, I mean, oh oh man, those guys are intense. I am, I am so ready for, for those legendaries. Like, I guess Yvettel or how I don't even know how we're going to pronounce these things names. Xerneas is the is the one that I can pronounce. Yes. But um, I don't know how to pronounce the bird one's name. I don't I don't know how to pronounce that either. I yeah, mean, we'll, we'll we'll pretend. Okay. Bird yeah. bird legendary pokemon I think is far inferior to stag legendary pokemon. That's because the stag legendary pokemon looks like the forest spirit from princess mononoke true story and i'm totally good with that as it would turn out i am totally okay with that too i mean it is a beautiful sprite i mean just looking at it right now i'm pulled up the pokemon website here for a second to check it out it's got multicolored horns i mean a horn of literal i mean each one of those horns are literally a different color all around its head and you know it's got the you know, really long, slender limbs and things like that, and it just looks amazing. It's so pretty. The uh, bird Pokemon, uh, Yvetal, or however you that's probably the most accurate way I've heard it pronounced so far, Yvetal. Uh, I don't know, it looks like a weird combination between uh, Groudon and 
Darkrai. It's it's an interesting thing to be sure. Like I'm not entirely sure precisely how I feel about that one quite yet. I'm gonna love both of them. I think they both look really, really cool. I haven't been genuinely excited about a legendary in years. But so like even even Yvetal is is more exciting to me than um you know legendaries have been in the past decade even. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I was sort of excited about Dialga. I thought Dialga's uh, art was really exciting. I That was what uh, really made me go out and get Diamond and really get back into Pokemon again after, you know, the whole third gen, you know, sort of, well, I'm doing third gen stuff, you know, this is cool and everything. But, you know, really after that, the legendaries have sort of tapered off into you know, average sort of status. No offense to any of the people who like the whole, you know, Kyurem fusions or uh, any of the other legendaries from 5th gen. It was just that they they weren't, in my opinion, as aesthetically pleasing as some of the ones from previous generations were. And I feel that these two really make up for that loss. Oh, I do too. I actually kind of like most, I, well, I guess I kind of like all of the uh, starters that we've seen as well. Oh, yeah. And we actually had a discussion about that at the Sunday League today, where a lot of people are actually really into the water type one. It's funny to me because the the circles that I run in, everyone is excited about Fennekin. Like, nobody cares about Froki. <laughs> well, Fennekin is really cute. And, you know, honestly, if it evolves into a Fire Psychic starter, oh man, that'll be just dramatic. But, you know, I've heard a lot of people there like Froki. I mean, I know a lot of people like Fennekin. I mean, at our league that we run, you know, Fennekin is pretty much the favorite all around there. Very little love for Chespin, though. I, well, I'm planning on getting both. Uh, X and Y, and I'll be using probably Fennekin in my main cart, but I'm for my secondary cart, I'm definitely picking up Chespin over Froki. That's a little surprising to me because I figured you would have picked the water starter, but you know the grass starter, it sort of makes sense. I I normally pick the water starters. I mean, it's it's unusual for me to uh, pick the fire starter, honestly, but I'm really excited about. About Chespin, because I think that Chespin, Chespin looks like an Oshawott wearing a hat. It's really cute. <laughs> like, I just, I think it's adorable. I don't know what it's going to look like when it evolves, and if it looks stupid when it evolves, maybe I'll pick Froki instead. But right now, I, I kind of like its adorableness. Well, there you go. Uh, and, you know, there's there's tons of rumors floating around about these games already. And as of right now, we do need to try to keep in mind that most of these things are rumors. But one of the ones that I kind of wanted to mention is the idea that this game might be taking place in Europe, specifically France. Oh, yeah. Uh, because there's, you know, there's, there's some neat images on the Internet going around um, of different areas in France hooked up with like screenshots from the trailer. And, you know, the big one is that it, it sort of appears that in the beginning of that trailer, Pikachu is like standing on the Eiffel tower. Yeah. So, 
Well, even looking at the starters we have and even the legendaries that we have, I mean, their names alone uh, invoke a very old-world sort of European feel to them. They definitely don't evoke a Japanese feel. No, no. And, you know, the whole of the new region that we're going to be introduced to seems very sylvan in nature. And, you know, honestly, I would... I would honestly be surprised if this did not take place in, if it wasn't France or, you know, having the main city be a, you know, a reflection of Paris at all. If it wasn't taking place somewhere in Europe, I would be genuinely surprised. Oh, it'll be, it'll, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Like, I'm, I'm a little nervous, but I'm also mostly excited. So. At the very least, I mean, we can just transfer all of our stuff up there if they have a nice transfer system. That That's is. true. That's true. If they have a nice transfer system sold, just take my money. But <laughs> these these games are already available for pre-order um, in the states here. I know because I've pre-ordered both my copies. You can pre-order both of them. Yes, you can. You can pre-order right. both of them. I will be doing that. I will be doing just that on Thursday. So. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be awesome. So that there's there's definitely that. Um, so you know, other than X and Y being the big news, and Sam and I will definitely keep you guys uh, on top of all of the news that come out about X and Y as things go forward. Of course, maintaining like we did with Black and White Two, we will not be giving any story related spoilers. Period. Yeah. Um, but there is some other news to talk about this week as well. Starting off with. Um, there's an RCS Poké doll available now for people in all regions that have a copy of Black, White, Black 2, or White 2. Yep. So if you're into the, the Dreamworld Poké dolls, now uh, it's not just Japan that has access to that RCS one, but everybody does. Yay! Nice. Uh, speaking of new stuff, a Genesect Swap Note stationery is available for those who have used the Pokédex 3D Pro. And I downloaded and I downloaded it and took a look at it and you know it's okay. It's it's kind of neat because it's got Genesect 3D sprite on it and that just makes me more excited for X and Y because they're going to be fully uh, 3D and that's all sorts of exciting to me. Oh totally. So T. Oh speaking of X and Y, I really need to go back and start picking up all my legendary Pokemon. <laughs> I I put I procrastinate on that so bad. I really shouldn't because some of those legendary Pokemon would be really nice to use in doubles teams, but man, it's so hard to get those. Well, and speaking of Genesect and the Pokedex 3D Pro, um, the Pokedex 3D Pro password is available for Genesect. You can find it on Cerebi.net. All it does is unlock his normal form. It doesn't unlock like the alternative colorations that he gets when you attach the different drives to him, but doing so will allow you to fully complete that Pokedex. Cool. Well, uh, the official site has also announced, in amongst all the X and Y news, that a special distribution that will happen at our previously mentioned VGC Winter Regionals will occur uh, on January 20th, which was today, actually. Yep, if, you, yep. if you attended the Winter Regionals in Long Beach, Lake Buena Vista, St. Charles, Salem, or Sandston, you were able to get a special download of Cloister, which was based off of the VGC champ 
Abrams Cloister in last year's tournament. This cloister is level 30 and has the same moves, nature, and hold and held item as Abrams Cloister. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt. I mean, it's probably really cool for him that he, you know, got a, a distribution event Pokemon. Yeah. After his Pokemon, and that in and of itself is, is really cool. But at the same time, it's not like it's a, a super rare Pokemon or anything like that. It's a cloister. And I'm guessing that it's probably not a terribly unusual cloister at that. I've seen some cloisters out there that were fairly unusual. And, you know, it's like, okay, that's that's interesting. But I don't know. It seems like the cloister would only be really good if you had it tailored for a team that would be able to use it. And yeah. I suppose you could say, yeah, I have the champion's cloister, but it's not really the champion's cloister. It's a duplicate of the champion's cloister. True story. So, I don't know, that's okay, I guess. You know, congratulations to Abram for having a, one of your Pokemon immortalized in Pokemon history. But, you know... <laughs> Hey, that wraps up news for this week, too. We had a lot of news to talk about this week, and I'm sure we will continue to have a lot of news to talk about as more on X and Y develop. New releases do that. <laughs> well, that's good, because we were a little dry on news for a while. Yeah. Alrighty, so let's head over to our main topic for the episode. topic of today, which is 4th Gen Multiplayer Advances. And for this main topic, we decided last week that it would be nice to do one of our shows that was going to be based off of Sinnoh. As per our usual routine here, we would have a show on a region, we would have an off week, and then we would have one based on the region that we just covered. And for this time around, instead of talking about something special, you know, relatively specific, we decided we would talk about how 4th Gen, and specifically Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum, really updated and upgraded the multiplayer things you could do with Pokemon games, which before were really limited to just link battling. Yep, with the charge link cables specifically. Yes. So this time around, we're going to be talking about all the different things that Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum really did to help out uh, the whole aspect of multiplayer gaming that you could do with a Pokemon game and really expand beyond the relatively simple aspect of battling. Oh, and there's really some cool stuff to talk about. Oh, super cool stuff. The first thing that we're going to talk about is Poffins. Oh, yes. And, you know, creating these food items for your Pokemon to consume was really both rewarding and fun. Does this mean that the fun was doubled? I think so. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I am glad that our fun has been doubled. So essentially what you did when you were, you know, making poppins was that you were utilizing berries that you found in the overworld, um, either in the wild or that you grew specifically, to make food for your Pokemon that raised their specific stats for super contests. Yes, and... 
you know, these poffins that you created, the more people that you had making the poffins, the better quality they would turn out. And depending on the berries you put in there, you could have it raise its uh, Pokemon-specific hidden stats that it had, its coolness, toughness, cuteness, etc. And, you know, making these poffins was really cool in that it, you know, it was fairly difficult to do if you had a lot of people doing it at once. Uh, if you had a lot of people, you had to get them all doing it in sync when you're stirring the poffins when you're making them so that you didn't make the bowl overflow, which was humorous in and of itself, or let the dough burn. Yeah, and like the dough burn was bad too. I mean, like, it took a lot of practice and a lot of work to get really good poffins. Especially if you were doing it by yourself. Because... Oh, it was, it was, I think it was pretty impossible to get them to turn out like at their top level by yourself. Oh, absolutely impossible. I mean, I've tried myself, and I really couldn't get any of those poffins above maybe a level 30 quality, which was, you know, probably the epitome of what you could do by yourself. <laughs> and I managed to make enough of them of a fairly high enough quality to the point that my Suicune was maxed out with its beauty by the time it got done with it. But I'm sure for a lot of people who weren't nearly as practiced as po at poffin making, I mean, you know, they can only eat a certain amount of those poffins, and then they're full, and then they're then you don't get to feed them anymore. So you really had to watch out what you were doing with your contest Pokemon. Yeah, you definitely had to be careful, because the last thing you wanted to do was feed your Pokemon full of, like, inferior poffins. Yep, and then it's like, oh, now it turns out that my, you know... I don't know, my Geodude doesn't have the maximum toughness quality. And yeah, these these po these super contests were kind of brutal that way. Yeah, they were. <laughs> What's the next thing that we that we can talk about from fourth gen that it, you know, gave people something else to do other than charge link battle? Uh I would think that it was be the thing after which our podcast is named, oh, which was oh, oh, oh. the underground. Now, the underground was really cool because underneath all of Sinnoh, there was this whole network of tunnels underground that existed for players to explore, which was amazing in and of itself. True story. And, like, throughout all of these, like, massive tunnels, you could literally go anywhere under all of Sinnoh and excavate out hidden items and essentially make your own secret base. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they did introduce this mechanic in Ruby Sapphire Emerald, where you could go out and you could create your own secret base. But you had to have a Pokemon with, I think it was the move Secret Power, or, yeah, I think that's what it was called. And you could only really create a secret base for you and you alone. But this time around, you can actually showcase off your secret base. You could have people go into it if you link up with them in the underground. And it was really fun. Yeah, so there would be other people that would be able to like go in and see your secret base and find it and it was it was much more um interactive. Yes, that's the word I wanted. Thank you. <laughs> yep. Uh so you used these items that you purchased in the overworld or in the underground to decorate your base. So you could like customize it to exactly how you wanted it to look. Every single secret base was totally unique to the person that built it. 
Oh, yeah. And my personal favorite thing, capture the flag. (laughs) You and Richard played that a lot one night. Yes, we played it for about two and a half solid hours, <laughs> where we just ran around capturing each other's flags and returning them to our secret bases, so that we could just, it was namely to improve the color of our trainer cards, because to improve your trainer card to the next uh, color level, you had to capture an, a, another person's flag 50 times and return it to your base. Well, after a while, this started getting old because we realized we would be there for a while, so I started laying traps. And, you know, laying traps around everywhere, the bubble traps, the flame traps, the traps that would, you know, drop a bunch of rocks on you. It was really good fun, and we had a blast with that because it was just so ridiculous. Well, there were a lot of crazy traps. Like, there was the bubble trap, which was hilarious, because you'd have to, like, tap all the bubbles to make it go away. Yep. And there were, like, there were the ones that would, like, shove you, like, one direction until you couldn't go any further. And Yep. They were, man, the underground was all kinds of tons of fun. <laughs> well, and the cool thing about the traps was, like, that, you, you know, when you buried them, they it was you couldn't really tell where they were. No. So, I mean, if you put a bunch of traps right around your secret base, I mean, sure, some people, some be, somebody would be like, oh, well, that's the secret base right there. I know what's <laughs> going on. But at the same time, there's a bunch of traps there. And if you're trying to get into that one base and it takes you 15 minutes to get into that base because of all the traps <laughs> that are going off there, you're just like, no. <laughs> it eventually becomes not worth it. Well, eventually... Well, especially with Richard and I, after we started just laying a bunch of traps everywhere, it got to the point where we were just stubbornly just like, nope, I'm getting into that base one way or another. (laughs) Run into all of the traps to get there. Oh, that's hilarious. It It was a ton of fun. And especially the mining thing, where you could just run into... Just a random area of the of the wall, find a oh yeah, was, like a bumpy spot or something, and then just start digging into the wall was so much fun. Yeah, and it was like there was a specific time limit on them because if you destabilized the area you were excavating too much, it would collapse. Yep. So, and that was how you found all the fossils in fourth gen, and there were you could get every single fossil down there. Yep, every single one. And, you know, some you had to wait until after the completion of the National Pokedex. Well, yeah. But, you know, for the most part, you could get every single one of them. And I still have a poster of the Underground right here, actually. I'm looking right at it. And, you know, the tunnel system in that thing was super, super huge. That's so cool. I mean, it literally ran under the entirety of Sinnoh, the entire map here. And it was split into one, two, three, four, five, six different sections. And I think the one that Richard and I participated in was obviously the largest one, which pretty much spanned over the majority of Sinnoh. So we were just running around being like, derp, 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 and tripping up traps and having all kinds of fun. <laughs> Uh, but that, you know, the underground was one thing that you could do, uh, but there was, there's, there's something else that you love probably more than the underground, which, you know, shock and awe, Sam loves super contests. Oh, my personal favorite thing that I've ever done in a Pokemon game that wasn't battling related. 
Well, and it's sad because these this awesome thing has like not really ever come back in the same way as it did way back in Diamond Pro Platinum. I know. And you know, they did have these in Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald, and I did do those for a little while, but they weren't very sophisticated. And you know, Pokemon Super Contests were really the next logical step up from that, and they were the way that you could compete with your Pokemon to display their grace and beauty instead of their raw battle abilities. And that was a lot of fun in and of itself, what you could do with some of those uh, tr- with some of those contests. Yeah, there's... Oh my gosh. Uh, you, you were doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Like, in this incarnation, you would literally dress your Pokemon up using the items that you found and collected in your accessory case. Yes. Um, and then on top of that, you would also have to perform dances in sync with a castanet system. Castanet? Castanet? Castanet, I think. I think that's right. Castanet system for, for the dance competition. And then my favorite part was the performing of attack combinations in the acting competition. Because the different attacks that you did, depending on, you know, what was going on at the time that you used them and things like that, could, like, jack out your voltage meter. And that was really complicated. Yeah, it was. And it was really complicated, really, because it was an entirely different way of doing Pokemon battles. I mean, in most battle, in the majority of battles, 99% of battles in Pokemon, you're competing to knock the opponent's HP down and be victorious in a battle. Whereas in the acting competition, you were trying to make a combination of moves and jack out the the judge's voltage meters. And sometimes that required you to be extremely strategic with your moves to see when and where would, would be the best time to do it. That was so cool. I know. I miss it. And I, it was my favorite thing to do in platinum. I mean, I went through and I fed my Suicune, the poffins. I raised its beauty to the maximum level. I went out and got the beauty scarf, went out and got a bunch of the accessories, and I trained that thing to be a master beauty competition winner. And, you know, it was just fantastic. It was the one of the best times I've had in Pokemon. Oh, it was it was a lot of fun. I really part of me is kind of hoping that maybe 6th gen will see a return to that, but I've already been disappointed twice in 5th gen, so I'm just going to try to not hold my breath over much. Yeah. Something that we've seen that we started to see in Ruby Sapphire, but that really came into its own in 4th generation was the Battle Frontier. Yes. And, you know, the Battle Frontier beforehand, you know, there were some things you could do with it, but for the most part, it was kind of a a way to really, I don't know, do it on your own time, something different to do after you'd beaten everything that there was to beat in the main game. You know, that's kind of how it went, because, you know, in the previous generations, you know, what did you do? I mean, you went back, you fought the Elite Four again, and, you know, basically trained your Pokemon up to level 100 to fight your friends. But, um, you know, especially multi-battles in the Battle Frontier and Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum were super sophisticated for their time. I mean, you could get together with your friends, and you could do the multi-battles, you know, you could do, you know, battles between two people, battles between four people. I mean, it was ridiculous. It really, really was. I mean, like, 
Oh my gosh, it it was unprecedented at that time. And I mean, you know, until this point, it's can only continued to develop from there. I mean, now we have all sorts of crazy battle types that we can do in fifth gen. I know, right? You know, triple battles, rotation battles. I you hate know. rotation battles. <laughs> But all of that really descended from the advances that were made in Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum with Battle Frontier and the various things that you could do in multiplayer that came with the advanced technology of the Pokemon DS. Or not the Pokemon DS, the Nintendo DS. Uh, the other thing that sort of ties in with the Battle Frontier is the Coliseum, which was kind of the Battle Frontier's like sister building style thing. Yes. And... In there, it was really, uh, I think it was part of the Wi-Fi Plaza. It may, may not have been. I'm not, I, I don't know. I found very little information on it in the book that I had. But, you know, that's where you could do the single, double, and mixed battles with two players. And doing it on, you could, I mean, the way that it was run was revolutionary for its time. Because, you know, there was less thinking time for the computer to engage in these battles. I mean, people could reliably get into wireless battles without fear of any disconnections or any other problems of that nature. You could get four people battling at the same time, which, you know, beforehand really required you to have the weird cables that would have additional uh, jacks for other cables, and it just made things a whole lot smoother for everybody. It really did. And, you know, this is the last thing we had for, really, for multiplayer, I don't know, I guess functions, is something that I never got into, but, you know, still sounds really amazing, and was really our precursor for the Enterlink, which was the Wi-Fi Plaza. I actually messed around in the Wi-Fi Plaza a lot right after I got the games, uh, just because it was like such a weird novelty-style thing. There were all these different little games that you could play, and like when you went in there, it was like being in a giant carnival. And you'd walk around and get into these little mini-games, and you'd be competing against other people. There was Swallet Pop, which was kind of like a balloon-popping game. Um, there was the Mime Junior Top, which was like this, it, it was kind of a crazy thing. Like, I, I don't know, you would spin the tops and I, it's been so long since I've done any of this, <laughs> but like there, there were three different, uh, little mini games. There was, there was a Swallet Pop, the Mime Junior Top and Wobbuffet Pop and playing these mini games. There was no like voice chat or anything like that, but you knew that you were playing along with other real people that were playing these games in real time with you. Yeah. And then if you stayed in the plaza long enough, there was occasionally this little special event where you would see fireworks and there'd be a parade and the lighting in the entire little carnival would completely change. Which is really cool. Yeah, but you had to be active like the whole time you were doing it because if you weren't... Um, you just you'd get kicked out like it would it wouldn't let you idle in in the oh. yeah it it wouldn't let you idle in the uh plaza well then <laughs> okay then but yeah really the two big things though that really came about with the advent of the Nintendo DS 
were wireless battling and internet-capable battling. Oh, this changed everything, and it's still affecting how we're battling today. Oh, yeah. A lot of our newer players really take it for granted. I mean, super take it for granted, because they're just like, oh, wireless gaming. I mean, that's just something that's always been around, right? Well, for us who grew up in the days of red, blue, and yellow. <laughs> and, the, and the cables and the purple and uh. Yeah, this stuff is revolutionary technology. I mean, they you could argue, yes, they included the little wireless adapter things in the copies of Fire Red and Leaf Green. I mean, yes, those were real things, but they weren't nearly as sophisticated as the built-in wireless technology and internet capability of the Nintendo DS. It was so cool. I know. And, you know, just the thought of being able, you know, it wasn't nearly as sophisticated as, like, now we have the infrared battling. Well, I and mean, that's that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> exactly. But being able to battle wirelessly so you could actually get into a lobby with somebody else, whether it was locally or even across the ocean itself, and be able to battle them in real time without fear of losing the connection or having a faulty wire or something like that that you perpetually had to worry about with the cables and with all of the other different external devices that had to come with it was just mind-blowing for so many people. And they'd wanted it for such a long time, and now they finally had it. Well, and the other really crazy thing is that when you start to think about these advancements that Nintendo is making in these methods of multiplayer, like using the Nintendo Wi-Fi connection is a huge deal. I mean, the this company is literally paying for us to be able to use these connections and be able to link our games with one another. I mean, it's no small thing that they've done in going from being able to only battle with people that you could see face-to-face to to now being able to make connections with other trainers all across the world. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it's only continued to grow from there. But really, it was Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum for however many people who did not really enjoy the games that much. It was really the big stepping stone. And, you know, the Pokemon franchise is really big step forward in cementing how the game was played and revolutionizing it really and making it possible for more people to connect with themselves and, you know, enjoy the games over any number of distances, really. What kind of Pokemon are you? How do you do the things you do? Share with me your secrets deep inside. What kind of Pokemon are you? Are you loyal through and through? And do you have a heart that's true? What kind of Pokemon are you? This week's Pokemon Spotlight covers number 405, Luxray. Luxray is an electric-type Pokemon that is the final evolved form of Shinx and Luxio. It's known as the Gleam Eyes Pokemon, and it can see clearly through walls in order to catch its prey and find its lost young. It literally has x-ray vision. Lucario has a similar power, but Lucario really can sense people from 
up to a half a mile away, which is arguably a little more useful than X-ray vision, but, you know, <laughs> still, Luxray being able to see through walls, that's intense. Physically, Luxray are mostly blue, having a blue body and hind legs, as well as small portions of their face, but their chest and head, as well as their forelegs, are all black. They have piercing yellow eyes with red retinas and a flowing lionesque mane with a large diamond-like yellow shape on their tail, which resembles a spark or a star. My opinion, one of the coolest Pokemon that has ever come out. It has a really sweet-looking physical design. It really, really does. And even for electric Pokemon, which I admit I am very partial to. <laughs> yep. Now, Luxray are extremely vicious and territorial, and even when they're trained, they're still often very stubborn, but with the right trainer, they can prove to be unbelievably loyal and protective. Which, it, you know, kind of has the same sort of feel as an actual lion. Oh yeah, I mean, lions are always described as very prideful creatures, and Luxray is really no exception to that. Yeah, so Luxray's physical you know, build and design is, is very based on that of an adult male lion. Although, interestingly enough, it also probably takes some cues from the constellation of Leo because it has that star shape on the bottom of its tail. And that, to me, is, like, super, super interesting because it makes me, like, then I start to think about what other Pokemon might have been based on constellations. Yep. Because Luxray cannot, cannot be the only one. I mean, it's not very often that the Pokemon company decides to, you know, make a Pokemon out of one thing and then no other Pokemon are based on that thing. I mean, we have lots of Pokemon that are based on foods and inanimate objects and real-life animals and dinosaurs and extinct creatures and all sorts of crazy stuff. Yep. So now now I'm on a hunt for more Constellation Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly enough, Luxray is the only electric type that can learn superpower. That superpower is a crazy strong move. Oh yeah, especially sitting on that base 120 attack. So good. <laughs> um, in the Smogon tiers, Luxray is actually considered an NU Pokemon. Um, but, you know, being a natural predator, it's got some great abilities, and it's it has the ability to be used very, very well when you can get beyond its not-super-ideal move pool. What what abilities do we have to work with here, Sam? Well, we've got Rivalry, which increases attack if the opponent is the same gender and lowers it if it's the opponent is the opposite gender. Eh. We've got Intimidate, which lowers the opponent's attack upon entering the battlefield, and its Dream World ability is Guts, which increases attack to 150% of normal if it is suffering from an abnormal status condition. So if I were to throw, let's say, the Flame Orb on my Luxray, I would now have a base 180 attack stat? Yep, something like that, yeah. <laughs> it's so stupid! Indeed. Oh my gosh. Okay, so Guts is great. Intimidate is, like, um, as we've had mentioned to us in the past, uh, probably a bit more viable if you're doing doubles teams or something like that. But the the thing about Luxray is that it doesn't have a a really big move pool to work with. And a lot of its moves are either self-damaging or not very high as far as base power is concerned. You have your standard Ice Fang, Fire Fang, Thunder Fang uh, trio that you get in a lot of these Pokemon. But 
Luxray also has uh, Superpower, he has Crunch, he has Wild Charge, and as well as Night Slash and Iron Tail. Which are okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, not a, it's not a terrible move pool to work with, but that's literally all he has to work with as far as physical attacks are concerned that, you know, are competitively viable in any stretch. I mean, you know, if he's got Crunch, he obviously also has Bite, but nobody uses Bite over Crunch. Yeah. And, you know, he gets some interesting support moves. I mean, Magnet Rise through the Move Tutor, Thunder Wave, you know. But, I don't know, the thing about Luxray is that he's only got a base 70 speed, and he's got fairly weak defenses. I think they're both base 79. And when you're a Electric-type Pokemon with a base 70 speed, you leave yourself very wide open to faster ground-type Pokemon that can use Earthquake. And that's really why Smogon put Luxray down at the bottom there. Because, I don't know, even with the weakness to ground being taken out of consideration, he's still pretty slow and kind of fragile, so... Yeah, well, and if like if you if you would like to use Luxray, Luxray is going to be one of those Pokemon that pretty much needs to utilize. Uh, he's he's either going to have to take on using an Intimidate ability and then utilize the Choice Scarf, or you're going to have to set him up with something like a Speed Boost Pokemon or an Agility bata- uh, Agility Baton Passer. They're really your only options. Yeah, and you know the. Air Balloon could also be used for, you know, kind of a surprise thing, but I'm not entirely sure how effective it would be if you were running into, like, a, I don't know, I guess Pokemon with a strong physical attack wouldn't even care. I mean, Waterfall off of a Kingdra would still hurt a lot. It really, really would, and, you know, I mean, you can try to sort of, like, beef him up a little bit, and if, if you are good at predicting or you can throw him out against something that you know is going to, you know, not take him down in a single hit, you can make some good use out of him. You've just got to be careful with him. I mean, he's he's not he's not Dragonite. He's, he's not going to be able to pop out there and do massive damage in any situation you present him with. There's going to be specific situations that work well for him and specific situations that you're just going to have to let him sit for a minute. Do I sense a breeding project for you in the future? Uh, you you do. Luxray is one of the few electric Pokemon that I don't have already bred. Yeah. Uh, Luxray and Ampharos, actually, both are a couple of Pokemon that I've still been sort of poking at and tweaking. <laughs> Well, it's good to tweak them, though. I mean, that's how you create superior ones that will surprise people. Sort of like how you totally rocked Richard's world with your uh, Menectric. Oh, Richard was not happy with Menectric in the... He was not happy with Menectric. He was not happy with Menectric, and he was not happy with... Um... Oh, who was the other one? Oh, the with your Jolteon. Manetric and Jolteon both. He was just, he was raging about it a little. He was just like, as soon as they started firing off thunders, it was over. Was, <laughs> sorry, Richard. <laughs> All right, well, that that's Luxray for you. Yep. You have new mail. Alrighty, well, Jellybird stopped by with a bit of mail for us this week, 
And we actually have an email here from Kent, who further detailed his thoughts on regional and generational Pokemon. Because uh, we, I guess, kind of went a little overboard last week. We rocked the boat. Yeah. So th- this is Kent's response. And he writes, hey, guys. Since this seems to be a point of contention on Twitter and a little bit on the podcast, I thought I'd write it in to clear the air about what I consider a, quote, regional Pokemon. First and foremost, I feel it necessary to establish that there is an important distinction between a regional Pokemon and a generational Pokemon. Squirtle is a Kanto regional first generation Pokemon. Turtwig is a Sinnoh regional fourth generation Pokemon, etc. The water seems to become murky, at least for me, when a Pokemon gets an intergenerational evolution or pre-evolution. Pikachu, an established Kanto regional first-generation Pokemon, was given a pre-evolution in Pichu, a new Pokemon introduced in second generation. While introduced to the franchise in games that took place in Johto, which could make it a Johto Pokemon, it was associated by evolution with a Pokemon that was already established as a regional Pokemon, Pikachu from Kanto. Because of this, I view Pichu as a Kanto Pokemon, despite not being introduced until Generation 2. The next, This next point makes things even muddier. I also caught a lot of flack for hedging on whether or not Frostlass was a Hoenn or Sinnoh Pokemon. I mentioned that there was an aspect of evolution not previously known, after which Natil pointed out, in the case of Electivire, that there was no Electrizer prior to Gen 4. While true, evolution by trading with held items was introduced in Generation 2 with Caesar, Steelix, and Slowking. Because of this, evolution methods that are established in prior generations, as in stones, trading with held items, friendship, etc., have no bearing on a Pokemon's regionality. Prior to Gen 4, all Snorunt evolved into Glalie. With Gen 4, Snorunt was given a special evolution granted by a stone that affected only female Snorunt, because it is a stone evolution, an established evolution method, it seems that Frostlass would follow my policy of evolution by prior established methods and would remain a Hoenn Pokemon. However, it only affects a certain amount of Snorunt, in this case, the female gender, which was a previously unknown method of evolution. So in this case, so the case could be made that Frostlass is a Sinnoh regional Pokemon. Now that I've sufficiently stirred the pot, I think I'll try to give some examples of novel evolutions that can make certain Pokemon regional. Steelix, trading with an item new to generation... Oh god, my... Okay. Steelix, trading with an item new to generation 2, Johto regional. Blissey, evolution by friendship, new to generation 2, Johto regional. No evolutions in... No new evolutions in gen 3. Ambipom, evolution by learning a new move... New to Gen 4. Gallade, evolution by a certain, ge- evolution for a certain gender by stone. And Gliscor, evolution by level up, holding an item at a specific time of day. As a final note, the evolutions always seem to come up with a new method of evolution every time new ones are introduced. So, rather than sticking with the stones, seriously, how difficult is it used to use, how difficult is it to use the moonstone, sunstone, leafstone, and create an ice stone? I honestly don't know what to do with them. Hopefully I've made my point. If not, you guys at least got some good controversial material and can bash me over the head with your superior logic. Happy catching. I think by his very definitions that he's posted there, though, I mean, your favorite Pokemon was Electivire, right? Yes. And mine was to- was Togekiss. Yes. Well, for in the case of what he 
what Kent put for examples with a Steelix trading with an item new to Gen 2, that would make it a Johto regional Pokemon. Well, with yours, you're trading with a Hell item that was new to Gen 4, so it would still make it a Sinnoh regional Pokemon. I think what he's trying to say is that evolution that happens when traded with a specific held item was introduced in Generation 2, and that's what makes those Pokemon Generation 2 Pokemon, I guess. Okay. Um, or or that specific region. So since, uh, since Electivire, or like, I, I, I guess this whole thing is really confusing to me, and I, I guess it doesn't. It's so much. <laughs> it's so much simpler to me to say that Pokemon that come out in a specific generation of games are those regions Pokemon, because like I can't like if you were to have asked me in the days of Gold and Silver who my favorite you know second generation Pokemon was, or you know who my favorite Johto Pokemon was, I wouldn't have said Togekiss because that Pokemon didn't exist then. Yeah. But when we got to fourth generation, that Pokemon did exist. So then I had the ability to say Togekiss. And that, to me, is the easiest way to go about doing that. I Personally, I don't think it... I don't know. I guess it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you get into the regional thing either. Because the when it comes to regions, I mean, even if you have some Pokemon that could, you know, sort of be like retro generational i guess sort of like how they included the shiny stone in heart gold and soul silver so you could theoretically get a togekiss in johto that didn't happen until after the items were already invented by the pokemon company so i would think that it would still be a i think it would still be a sino specific fourth gen pokemon so hey, i agree yep so we appreciate the very long and really actually quite academic outlook that Ken brought to us here, though. I just think that I'm going to stick with my easier approach. I think, I think the studying for the pilot, uh, for the pilot classes in the United States Air Force has created this because, I mean, this is very, this is very technical stuff that Ken's gotten into. I mean, this is, this is intense, I'm not going to lie. So I appreciate this for what it is. Oh, heck yes. We, we, we really appreciate that you took the time to write this giant email to us, Kent. And if, if you would like to write something in to us to have us include on the next installment of Deli Bird's Delivery Service, you can do so by sending your email on whatever it is that you would like to talk to us about that is at least tangentially Pokemon-related <laughs> to theundergroundmailbag at gmail.com. Hey, it's question of the week time again, and as always, we'll be starting with responses from last episode's question. Last episode, we asked, what was your most memorable gym battle? And we only have three responses this week, and only one of them came via Twitter. Uh, starting off, Adam wrote in via Twitter, and he said that even before I gave my answer, he also chose Whitney. Hashtag that Miltank. Yeah, I <laughs> I can respect that. Uh, so that's that's awesome. 
Now, Justin replied with a lengthy email he sent us, which said, I have been playing Pokemon since the original Gold and Silver came out, and since then, no gym leader has ever really stood out in my mind until Black and White 2. As a trainer, I tend to raise all my Pokemon to a level that is either equal to or a little higher than the opposing gym leader, so I don't tend to have difficulties defeating them. However, after my first run-through of White 2, I finally encountered a gym leader who th would leave any kind of memory for me. It wasn't a difficult battle, and I may have personally dragged it out a bit, but it was memorable, uh, memorable for me nonetheless. My most memorable gym battle was against Charon in the Espertia gym. I wasn't on challenge mode or anything, but the battle was probably the most strategic battle I've ever had with a gym leader. That sounds so lame, I know. First gem, how hard can it be? But what happened was I'd taken down Patrat with my Tepig named Tepatio, and I was facing his Lillipup. Charon's gym leader strategy is apparently similar to that of the Striatin gym leaders from Black and White, which is to just use workup at any possible chance. Knowing this, I decided to just use Defense Curl with Tapatio, which eventually led to a six-turn standstill between workups and Defense Curls. After Tapatio's defense stat and Lillipup's attack stat maxed out, the real battle started. Since Lillipup's plus six attack was neutered by Tapatio's plus six defense, his tackles weren't any stronger than normal. The battle was then a simple win for Tapatio and I. This stood out to me because it was the first time I'd ever tried to actually outsmart the gym leader AI. Most of the time, it's a, it's a simple matter of overpowering the gym leader, and it very easily could have been the same battle as this as well. I just decided to go ahead and try to play the same game, and in the end, it turned out to be a fun experience for me. You know, it's funny that he mentions that, because I didn't even think to have, like, a defense curl option or something like that when I fought Charon, and that workup kind of messed me up a little. Exactly. And, you know, <laughs> that's the that's the way you do it. I mean... It's, it's really cool. I think that's a great, a great story. And, you know, Justin, you're not even the only one who had your, his most memorable uh, gym experience in Black and White 2, because Sam did as well. Mm-hmm. All right. And finally, we had a secondary email sent in at, like, the last minute from Mitch. And he wrote in, Howdy, Underground Podcast. Mitch here. Chime going in on the question of the week. <laughs> Brilliant Pokemon puns from Mitch. I know, right? <laughs> he said, I think I would have to say the Viridian gym battle against Giovanni was the most memorable for me simply because they introduced the gym so early in the original games, and then it ends up being the last gym you complete. By the time I got there, I was so stoked to be to be able to uh, I was so stoked to finally be able to challenge the Viridian gym, and Giovanni and his Pokemon just oozed cool to me. I also have a soft spot for Team Rocket, and spoiler alert, spoiler alert Giovanni is their leader. <laughs> I can get behind that. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> this week, we're asking a question about some of the rumors surrounding the sixth generation of Pokemon. Specifically, we're asking you all, what do you think about the rumors about a light and sound type being introduced in sixth generation? I got to say, I don't think it's real. I think it's a hoax. Uh, <laughs> I heard talk at League about how it would happen and, you know what types it would be weak to, what types it would be strong against, how 
and how it would make things fresh or shake things up a little. But honestly, I feel that the new and updated graphics are probably going to be our fresh shakeup this time around. There will probably be some other little features that have been added in there, probably a more sophisticated uh, street passing system uh, for the 3DS capable games now that so that you could keep the system closed while still in Pokemon game and street pass with other people who are playing other Pokemon games. I think that would be really cool. And there are probably going to be some other different little things in there that'll really make use of the technology. But I honestly don't think we're going to be seeing another type here. This, at least in this game. For me, like I can, I can see it maybe happening, but I'm of the mind that's just like in my mind. There's a small voice shouting, "Oh, oh, oh, Arceus, please no." <laughs> I can't even imagine the rebalancing that would need to happen if they introduced not just one, but two new types to a game that already has 17 types and unique combinations of those 17 types, detailing out gracious knows how many possible type combinations of Pokemon. And when you throw two more into the mix, that multiplies that number by a factor of immensity. Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking about it the other day, and I thought, you know, Dark and Steel, those two types are still dramatically changing the way that all of the other types function in accordance to those two types. I mean, we're still, like, we, we, did, we even did an episode on this, where we're still feeling the reverberations of Dark and Steel from all the way back in Gold and Silver. So, I don't know how just how immensely ridiculous it would be if we added suddenly two more types and how all of these Pokemon would suddenly shift in importance. You know, NU Pokemon might suddenly become OU and OU Pokemon might suddenly become NU. And I mean, it would just so radically shake things up that I think we probably aren't ready for that. We should probably stabilize out Dark and Steel a little first. Well, for for me, it's like, you know, we have, at this point in time, we have a lot of type combinations that haven't even been tried yet. I don't think that adding two new types is, is going to be the way to go. And I certainly don't think that after a decade of time, Nintendo is just going to suddenly insert two brand new types. I think it's I think it's substantially more likely that instead this generation will be seeing unusual and unique type combinations like, oh, I don't know. Uh, Fire Psychic Starter? Well, yeah, Fire Psychic is a good is a good example. Um, I would really like to see uh, something like Grass Electric would be cool. Rock and Electric. Or all of the there's lots of type combinations that haven't been done yet, and I think it would be substantially more worthwhile to the game to continue to stretch the limits of the 17 type system than to try to stuff in two more types to hit 19. Have we seen a steel and electric type yet? Nope. That should be made a thing. It should be. I mean, there's so many other types that are weak to ground out there. Why not? So. <laughs> right. <laughs> We've already got all these quad weak Pokemon. Let's let's do another one. Yeah. Um. You know, and you guys, you guys should totally write into us and tell us what you think about this whole idea of a sound and light type being introduced to the games in sixth generation. It's totally okay if you disagree with us. If you totally think that's going to happen, we want to know. You can go ahead and send your responses to 
either me or Sam in a tweet. I'm at Hot Pink Joystick, and Sam is at Alexiel Solarin. We also have the option for you to send us an email. You can do so at theundergroundmailbag at gmail.com. And we also take responses in our often overlooked D20 Radio Network forum pages at D20 Radio forums, t20radio.com backslash forums. If you enjoyed today's broadcast, you can find back episodes of The Underground on iTunes or at our website, theundergroundpodcast.wordpress.com. Please subscribe to the show via the iTunes store or directly through the RSS feed on our website. If you like what you hear, leave us a review or a rating on iTunes. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, send them with the nearest deli bird to our mailbag. Or you can just email us at theundergroundmailbag at gmail.com. We'd also love to hear your bumpers. Just record an MP3 of yourself telling us that you dig the underground and send it in. We'll play it at the top of the next episode. Also, feel free to join our discussions over on the D20 Radio Network forums at d20radio.com backslash forums. Please join us again next week when we'll discuss the often overlooked poison type and its role in the 5th gen metagame. So until next time, Poka fans, remember that our secret base is always open to you if you can find it. podcast is protected under a creative commons non-commercial no derivatives 3.0 unported license and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only pokemon is a registered trademark of nintendo game freak for kids entertainment and wizards of the coast music used in the show comes courtesy of the oc remix album the missing note tracks these songs and thousands more can be found at www.ocremix.org all original audio textual graphical and video content associated with the underground podcast are the sole copyright intellectual property of Natil Erickson and Samuel Ranke in affiliation with the D20 Radio Network.